Acts chapter 27, and we'll read one verse of Scripture, verse number 29. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern, and they prayed for the day to come. They dropped four anchors, and I want to share with you this morning a message entitled Anchors of Truth. After sailing for two weeks, very unfriendly, turbulent waters, the boat that Paul was aboard had been tossed, it had been torn, it had been battered and beaten, and they've been at this for two weeks now. Just basically lost at sea. But they realize that they're about to hit land somewhere. They're not sure exactly where it is, but they took some measurements and they decided we're about to hit land. And so the scripture we read said that before they, before they allowed the boat to be broken basically against the rocks, they cast some anchors because it was dark at that moment. They cast anchors and then they decided that we would, tomorrow when we, when we get to see some daylight, we'll be, able to, we'll be able to guide the ship a little better. So... In the midst of the Mediterranean Sea, the wind still blowing, the waves still rough, the tide still turbulent and high, in the midst of it all, there was a vessel that was securely and steadfastly anchored. Many of us know how it feels to be on a stormy sea that at time rages out of control. Whether it's spiritually, emotionally, financially, or physically, or any other way, the boat of our lives will at times face stiff opposition, swift currents, and strong headwinds. These people running around saying that once you get saved, it's just a picnic at the end of all of your troubles. The reason they think that is because they haven't lived it long enough. You live for God long enough, you too, my friend, will borrow a set of jumper cables at some point. You live for God long enough, the fish won't always bite. You live for God long enough, you won't always have everything going your way. You live for God long enough, you'll bury a family member. You live for God long enough, something will happen in your life that will cause you to wonder, is it really worth it? Can I make it another day? Something will happen. The devil would attempt to rock our boat with a plethora of perversion, prejudice, and pornography. He would endeavor to cause our lives to be crushed against the cliffs of confusion, calamity, and corruption. And he will use every available method he could think of to sink the ship of our lives. He does not play fair and he does not care about the damage he leaves in the long run. He, whether it's a family problem, whether it's a relationship problem, some of you just this past week dreaded going to Christmas dinner because you knew you were going to run into that crazy uncle or that crazy cousin or somebody it's a, it might be a church problem it might be a physical problem or sickness but before they allowed the boat to be broken against the rocks causing them to lose their lives the Bible says they cast four anchors and I believe today that as we go into the year 2020 there are some foundational anchors that we can cast for our lives going into this new year. What I'm about to tell you today is not anything profound. I don't have sense enough to preach anything profound. It's simple truth. But if these anchors are cast, 
They will keep our ship steady in the time of the storm when all is raging against us. So I want us to cast some anchors this morning as we look through the word of God today. First, The first anchor we want to cast is this. God's word is true. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's enough to see you through, friend. I'm thankful today to be a part of the assemblies of God. I am glad to be part of a Pentecostal church. And if you don't like it, well, I don't. If people don't like the way we worship, there's plenty of other churches that are as dry as last year's bird's nest. You go there. Listen, friend, I grew up in this thing. We are known as a church of excitement, emotional excitement. Spontaneous praise. In fact, I grew up in a church where if you just wanted, if you wanted to have a wild, runaway, throw down, bounce off the wall kind of service, just invite somebody that doesn't have a clue about what's going on. I had it happen every time. Invite somebody with me from the Methodist church or the Baptist church or somewhere, and they'd say, What time do y'all start? Well, we start Sunday night at six o'clock. Well, what time do y'all end? Well, <laughs> Just not sure. <laughs> and we'd get started. We'd start singing some of those songs like we were singing this morning. I remember victory is mine. Victory today is mine. We'd get started singing some of those old songs. And old sister Olene Collins, she'd get started. She'd start in first gear. Oh, then she'd shift up to second. Oh, then she'd hit third. Oh, glory to God. When she did, old brother Chapman, if he was a day old, he was 95. But he'd come bouncing down the aisle like a rubber ball. Just shouting and clapping his hand, bouncing down the aisle. Old sister Gertie Bell Shepherd was on the third row. She had that knot tied so tight in the back of her head you couldn't stick another bobby pin through it. But she's sitting there bucking. And she sees Brother Chapman coming down the aisle. That's all she can stand. She gets up off of that pew and here she comes waltzing and dancing down the aisle. Just that hair falling everywhere. Bobby pins flying, handkerchiefs waving. My old grandmother. And here I'm sitting with my Methodist buddy. Then my grandmother gets started with her fire engine. Woo! I'm thinking, dear Lord, you've been. How, how am I going to explain this after church? But I found something out, friend. You don't explain it; you just experience it. <laughs> the explanation is the experience. Because I've had people tell me I didn't understand exactly what all happened. I didn't know what was going on. That was not what I expected. But I can tell you this. I felt something in that place tonight that I've never felt before in my life. It's the power of the Spirit of God. And since I'm an Assemblies of God preacher and I'm in an Assemblies of God church, I can't speak about other people. Let me just ask us, why have our churches gotten so quiet? We are the people of the Spirit. We are the people of response to the Spirit of God. And I believe in it and we need it once again. However, when the emotional excitement has faded, and it will, 
and real life has to be lived and where the rubber meets the road, there must be something embedded deep within us that will see us through when the storm rages in our life, when you don't feel like shouting, when you don't feel, a, when you don't feel those bumps up and down your back, when you don't feel the excitement of the emotion. Listen, the Word of God is still there to sustain us through every storm of life. Hallelujah. His Word is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our paths. We must have His Word hidden in our hearts. There are, time, there are times that if we don't have the Word of God, we won't have a thing to stand on. I mean, there are times in your life when all is raging against you and for some reason you're in a place where you don't have a choir to sing and you don't have a keyboard to play and you don't have a worship CD or, or a, a download to listen to. You don't have a Gaither video. To, you don't have anything. All you have is the Word of God. But that Word of God that's been hidden in your heart can remind you, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That Word of God hidden in your heart can remind you, Oh, I know that all is raging against Against me, but even though all hell rages against me, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mind. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers out of them all. Hallelujah. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Well, the word of God will see you through. Hallelujah. Whoop. I'm having myself a time and I'm not even getting started. Hallelujah. The word of God will see you through. Many of you remember the tragic day, September 11, 2001. America was attacked. Our foundation was shaken in many ways. Our nation, our nation was never the same after that. At the end of that day, September 11, 2001, at the end of that day, most people in this nation were tuned into a television set listening to a speech by the President of the United States. It was announced he's going to make a statement. And he did from the Oval Office. And at the end of his statement, it was a brief speech, but at the end of it, I'll never forget it. My heart was troubled. As an American citizen, my heart was troubled. I didn't know what in the world was going on. You know, nobody did. But my heart was troubled, but at the end of the president's speech, he quoted one verse of scripture from the 23rd Psalm. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. <laughs> and when the president quoted that scripture, it was like the peace of God began to flood my heart. I said, ooh, that's a powerful president. It didn't have a blooming thing to do with the president. It's the power of the word of God. The Word of God, it's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. The power of the Word. Fads and trends will come and they will go. And we, <laughs> might as well admit it, we Pentecostal people, the world's worst, jump on every bandwagon that comes along. I remember when Swaggart was popular. And then he became unpopular. Now he's popular again. And he was, but back when he was popular the first time, <laughs> he was doing these big camp meetings. He still does, I think. He's doing these big camp meetings. And 
everybody want to have a camp meeting like Swagger. And then Benny Hinn came along. He got popular. Everybody wanted to play soft organ music and fall on the floor. Get back up and fall again. <laughs> then the Pensacola revival hit. And everybody went to, a lot of people went to Pensacola. Nothing wrong. I don't, I don't have a thing, I don't have a thing against Swaggart or Benny Hinn or any of them. I'm just saying fads and trends, they come and they go. And the people went to Pensacola and came back shaking and quaking. And, and that's the, how they thought they had to have church. And uh, in one week's time, changed our whole style of worship. Just because that's the way they did it down there. Split churches and, and we really had revival. <laughs> and then, and then, and then uh, John Maxwell wrote a few books on leadership. And our pastors decided they didn't want to be pastors. They'd rather be leaders. I wish I was preaching this at general council. <laughs> I'm scheduled to preach general council next time. It's the Tuesday night after it's over. I'm preaching. But, <laughs> but uh, things come and go. But I want you just be reminded of this. When the, when the dust is settled and when the smoke is cleared and when it's all said and done... There will be one thing that is left standing. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Hallelujah. God's word will be the only thing that stands in the end, and it is an anchor that will hold us in every storm. If you want to be anchored, if you want to be grounded, I promise you, get into the word of God, and the word of God will see you through. Hallelujah. Another anchor I want to cast is this. And again, it's not anything profound, but it will hold us in the storm. The second anchor is this. Jesus died and rose again. That'll see you through, friend. The cross was not some plan B that God had to come up with all of a sudden because man failed in the Garden of Eden. No, sir. It was set in order for Christ to die from the very foundation of the earth. The story goes that Jesus was scourged and crucified at the orders of the Roman governor, Pilate. This scourging that Jesus experienced, not much is written in the scripture about it, but historians tell us that it was a process in which the victim at the time would be tied by his hands to a pillar or a post. And the soldiers would take a whip. This whip was made of long leather strands, long leather strips, and according to scholars and historians, embedded in these pieces of leather that were used for the whip, embedded in these pieces of leather were sharp objects, small rocks, pieces of stone, pieces of glass, small things like that, pieces of uh, sharp objects, pieces of bone that they embedded into these leather strips. And as the whip would crack across the back of the victim, these sharp objects embedded in that leather would begin to rip the flesh apart. And the whip would crack across the victim's back over and over. And it is very, very likely that after the scourging, Jesus was left having to hold in his internal organs because he was nothing but bloody shreds of flesh hanging from his back and from his body. The scourging often killed the victim before he ever got to the crucifixion. But Jesus did not die in fulfillment of prophecy because it was set in order for him to die on the cross and be nailed to the cross. And there he was nailed to the cross at the hill of Golgotha and at hanging from the cross at that moment he let out a great cry of death with his final breath 
And when he did, something miraculous took place. And it's recorded in every gospel in the Bible. When Jesus let out that great cry of death, something miraculous took place. Just over there in the temple, there was a, a curtain that had been hanging for years. That curtain basically was a curtain that said, no trespassing. You cannot get past this curtain into the holy of holies, into the presence of God. Unholy man could not get into the presence of a holy God. But when Jesus died on the cross and he let out that great cry of death, that veil that separated man from the presence of God began to rip and tear apart. Don't you know that little Levite that was keeping up with the temple duties that day? It nearly scared his socks off. He didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. He had heard all this rigmarole about Jesus being the Son of God. He didn't believe a bit of it. But all of a sudden he hears a faint cry from Golgotha. And he looks up and sees a rustling around that veil. And he sees just in time as his mouth drops wide open. As he sees from top to bottom that veil begin to rip and tear and shred apart. Hallelujah. Signifying that I am no longer an outsider of the commonwealth of the presence of God. But I can just step right on in to the very holy of holies I've passed the riven veil where the glories never fail I'm living in the presence of a king hallelujah oh that day the presence of God since that day the presence of God is no longer no longer unseen or unfound but we have access into the very presence of the Lord because you see Jesus after he died entered into a tabernacle that is not made on this earth but a the writer of Hebrews said he entered into a heavenly tabernacle and there he began to present the blood not of a bull, not of a goat not of a ram or an innocent lamb but he began to present the blood of his own pure and spotless and holy sacrifice on the mercy seat in heaven and when he began to present that blood and the father looked at that blood and saw that blood he said I'm so well pleased with that blood that any time I see that blood applied to the life of of any person I will count that person as righteous as though they've never sinned before in all of their lives and today I'm made righteous not because of who I am or not because of what I've done but I am a righteous person because of the blood of Jesus Christ that has been applied to my soul oh, blessed be his name hallelujah I'm righteous because of the blood we ain't even got him off the cross yet and we're shouting three days later that grave that he was lying in was evacuated. There are those that still are there today who would say that Jesus' body was stolen. They will never believe that he resurrected. They say his body was stolen by the disciples. But in that part of the country, in that part of the world rather, they don't bury bodies under the ground. They put them in just what Jesus was in. It was in a cave type thing. And what they do is they, let, they, they leave the body there for about a year. And they let the flesh decay off the bones. And then they gather the bones and put them in a, in a box or a little, just a small wooden box. And then they put them somewhere to be eternally there you know that's what happened when Joseph said you know the children of Israel will come. he said one of these days you're going to cut out of this out of this land called Egypt he said now I want you to take my bones with they didn't have him in a coffin they had him in a little box and it was just his bones because that's how they that's how they did it 
But people have said for years that the body of Jesus was stolen by the disciples. Where are the bones? Can't find the bones. Because the bones are not there. The bones are with the rest of him. In the presence of the Lord. Because three days after he died, he rose from that grave. Hallelujah. He rose from that grave, triumphant over death and hell. They were looking for him. Those who were looking for him didn't see him, but they saw the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord said, I know whom you seek, and he is not here. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Then he tells us in Revelation 1, I am he that lives and was dead in verse 18. Have you ever talked to anybody that says, I'm alive, but I was dead. I've never talked to very many people that said, I was dead, but now I'm alive. But that's what Jesus said. I am he that lives and was dead, but now I am alive forevermore. And not only that, but he said, I also hold in my hand the keys of death and hell. He went to hell and stole from the enemy the keys of death and hell. Listen, friend. He didn't go to hell to suffer punishment from hell. He went to hell to do battle and win the battle. And that's exactly what he did. And he took the whatever has you bound, whatever has you imprisoned, whatever has you enslaved, it has its roots in death and hell. And Jesus has the key that can unlock your prison door today. Hallelujah. He's alive. And because he's alive, we shall live also. I don't know what your need is today. But I promise you this, you can bring it to Calvary. This is a representative of the mercy seat. This, is place is repre- this altar is representative of the place of sacrifice and surrender. And you can surrender that all to the Lord. And when you do, he's able to bring life to your situation. Just as he has over and over and over. Hallelujah. Another anchor I want to cast this morning is this. Third anchor. God is in control. I'm telling you, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? You hadn't surprised him one bit. Whatever happened to you this past year did not take God by surprise. Whatever happens to you next year, it might blow you away, but it won't take God by surprise. If you don't believe God is in control, just look at the nation of Israel and its history. God promised Abraham, I will make of you and your descendants a great nation. That promise was threatened when Joseph brought his family into Egypt. And after Joseph's death, they were forced into slavery. But then God raised up Moses, who brought them out of Egyptian bondage. And then eventually Joshua, who led them into the promised land as they crossed the uh, River Jordan. Even after they got into what was the promised land, they had an attack after an attack after. They were attacked by enemies throughout the Old Testament, throughout the history of the Old Testament. You read about it. Every time you turn around, every time you flip the page in the Bible, they're being attacked by the, either the, Ish, uh, the uh, Amalekites or the Hittites or the Hivites. That's when the devil's got you down. He'll bring the its and the ites and the oops and all of them. Then you go to more modern history. Just in the last century, an insane, demon-possessed maniac by the name of Adolf Hitler tried to do away with the Jews in the Holocaust. 
succeeded in killing six million of them in the Nazi regime. But just a few years after he tried to wipe them out, those same people in 1948 got their own piece of property called Israel. By the way, I'm going there in September. I'd love to take you with me if you want to go. So we'll talk about it after church if you want to. But they got their own piece of property called Israel. My old grandmother told me that when news got to them in southeast Arkansas that Israel had become its own nation, she said we literally went outside our houses and started looking in the sky to see if Jesus was coming. That's how close they thought they were to the coming of the Lord. That was in 1948. Then go 40 years after that to 1989. The Soviet Union, what was the Soviet Union, falls apart. Communism, which kept the gospel out of the former Soviet Union. Communism and that particular, uh, that particular philosophy, it fell apart. The, for, the countries of the former Soviet Union became free countries, which allowed two things to happen. It allowed the old descendants, it allowed the descendants from the old Jewish people, from the Jewish people that had to flee from their country, it allowed them to come back home. When communism broke apart, when communism, without a shot being fired, communism fell apart and it allowed people from, from Israel, it allowed the Jews to leave the country of Russia. They had not been allowed out for 40 years. And their family had not been allowed out. But now they're able to fly back to their homeland from the north. Just like Ezekiel said. You read it. And then you go to the map. Young people, there's this thing called a map. <laughs> and you, It's actually on a piece of paper. <laughs> but you go to the map. And you find Jerusalem. You go due north. And you're going to find Moscow, Russia. And Ezekiel said it. That, that boneyard that Ezekiel was talking about. It really wasn't an Assemblies of God church. We just, it just resembled one so much. We love to preach about it. But that, that boneyard is the children of Israel coming back home from the north country. Ooh, hallelujah. What does that mean? That means that not only are they coming back to their homeland just like Ezekiel promised, but it also opened up the opportunity for the gospel to get into those countries that had not been able to hear the gospel in years. Why? Because Jesus said, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in every nation and then shall the end come. Why, friend? It all happened for one reason and one reason alone. It's because God is in control. And America has been attacked over the years by radicals who hate our democracy, but they love our dollars. But on every piece of currency in this country is written a four-word phrase that has held us up for almost 250 years and that 
phrase is this, in God we trust. And if we will continue to trust in God, it doesn't take everybody trusting in God. Just read about what Abraham did. If just a few people will trust in God, and we are the few, we are the minority, we are the regime, we are the remnant that can trust in the Lord. If we hold to that statement, God can give us victory. I just thought I'd come to Belleville today to report to you that God is still in control. Nero tried to abolish him in the first century, but God is in control. There was a woman several years ago by the name of Madeline Murray O'Hare, wild hair, some kind of hair. She tried to do away with him and take his name out of the public school system. Liberal politicians have taken his word out of public workplaces and schools. News media gives him little, if any, credit at all. But God is still in control. Racist bigots in the South several years ago in Mississippi and Tennessee. They went through the southern states burning down places of worship. Black churches where his name is honored week after week. I'm telling you, you can burn down the building, but you won't burn Jesus down. Because God is in control. He is the same God who holds the waters of the deep in the palm of his hand. He's the same God that measured the heavens with just the span of his hand. He's the same God that carries the dust of the earth in a basket and measures the mountains with a scale. Hallelujah. Yes, they've tried to do away with Jesus for years, but here's what they're learning. They cannot drown him. He will walk on the water. They cannot surround him. He will pass through the crowd. They cannot burn him out. He'll still be the fourth man in the midst of the fire. They cannot starve him out. He is the bread of life. They cannot bind him. He is the liberator. They cannot shut him out. He said, I am the door. They cannot tire him out. He never sleeps nor slumbers. They cannot kill him out. They've already tried it. And three days later, he came up from that grave triumphant over death and hell. Oh, he's in control today. Oh, blessed be his name. When God gets ready to slap a mountain out of the way, he doesn't have to call the committee. He just does what he wants to. Because when he get, he's in control, he gets ready, he will just do it. Perhaps you're in a storm today that seems out of control. But I want you to know God is in control. He's able and he's faithful. Keep trusting him. Oh, I wish I had time to tell you all the ways that it seemed as though things were out of control in my own life in the past. And I just look back and see what God has done. Lord, when it, looked, when it looked like everything was in chaos, you were still in control. I can look back over my own personal life and see it didn't happen the way, it didn't end the way I wanted it to always, but I can see how the hand of God was making every, helping me every step of the way. God is in control. Listen, friend, let me cast a final anchor for you this morning, and that is this. Jesus is coming again. Oh, Hallelujah. Now, preacher, I've heard that all my life. So have I. But I've also read the Bible all my life. And I'm seeing some things shape up in the newspapers now that are lining up with what's happening in this book. You see, here's some things on the news. I'm telling you, friend, what the world is looking for is somebody to step on the scene and say, I have the answer. That's what the world, the world is setting itself up right now for an antichrist. And friend, we have to be closer, than, we are closer than we've ever been before. 
If it tends to be more than you can bear today, whatever in your life is going on, if it tends to be more than you can bear, I promise you this, it's almost over. Jesus is coming again. If it's really an anchor that that we really hold to, if it's something that holds us in the time of our storm, it should motivate us to pray more than we've ever prayed before. It should motivate us to live holier lives than we've ever lived before. It should motivate us to witness to friends and family and loved ones and even people that we don't know. Do it more than ever before. How do you know? I don't have any sensational predictions about the coming of the Lord. There are some people, if you send enough money to their radio program, they can tell you exactly the day he's coming. But Jesus said, no man knows the day nor the hour. No man knows the day. There are some people that can tell you exactly who the Antichrist is. I thought I knew him when I first started preaching. I thought I knew who he was. And then somebody shot him. Somebody kills your Antichrist. That messes up your whole message. But I've just decided I'm not going to waste the rest of my time, the rest of my life, the rest of my ministry worrying about who the Antichrist is because I'm not even looking for an Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ of Calvary who's coming in the clouds with power and with great glory. I'm looking for Jesus to come. I don't have any sensational predictions to share with you. The only thing I have to share with you is this. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I knew he was Pentecostal. He's coming back shouting. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The dead in Christ. There's a difference in being in Christ and being in church. There are a lot of folks that are in church. But they're not all, not all of them in Christ. It takes an experience. It takes a relationship with the Lord to be in Christ. He said the dead in Christ. Not the dead in church. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. With whom? With those who've already gone on before. But for what purpose? To meet the Lord in the air. I want to see Jesus. I want to see all of you. I want to see all of you in heaven. But if somebody in this place decides you don't want to go, I'm still going. Because I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. If the streets were gravel instead of gold, I'd still want to see him. I'd still want to go to heaven. If the gate was chain link instead of pearl, I'd still want to go. (laughs) If the wall was paneling (laughs) instead of jasper, I'd still want to go to heaven. Hallelujah. If I didn't have the promise of a mansion, I'd still want to go to heaven. Now, there's some scholars that say, that the Lord really didn't mean mansions when he said in my father's house are many mansions. It's, a, it's basically what he meant was just a big house with many, many rooms. And if I get to heaven and it's just a big house with many rooms, I'll be happy. But I want to tell you something, friends. As long as I'm down here and don't know the difference, you keep your mouth shut and let me keep my mansion. <laughs> Whatever it is, as long as I can look into the face of the one who died on the cross and hear him say, Well done. It will be worth it all. It will be worth every struggle. It will be worth every trial. It will be worth every burden. It will be worth everything we walk through just to hear him say, well done. At any moment, we're going to hear a trumpet sound. We're going to feel the force of gravity losing its hold on us. And we're going to enter the gates of heaven to live with Jesus forever and ever. 
And friend, that's an anchor that keeps me steadfast. Hallelujah. I want us to cast some anchors this morning. Would you bow your heads, please, across this room?